Welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. Today's guest is Mazay Jefferson. I'm really pleased to have Mazay on here. He is the Assistant Vice President of Development at L'Oreal Professional, which we're going to go into at some point. We're going to really get into that. Welcome. Well, thank you, Jack. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I really enjoy spending time with you anyway. How long have you been at... You're a hairdresser. It's in the family, right? Yes. Um, it's like, how long have you been at... When did you start? What did it look like? Tell me all. Uh, okay, so going back to the beginning. Um, so grew up in salon. My grandparents had a salon, so I came home from every day sweeping hair in the salon after school. And then in high school, my dad said to me, what are you going to do with your life? You know, that conversation that parents always give you. And I said, well, I want to be a rock star. And he said, okay, well, can you sing? And I was like, eh. He's like, do you play any instruments? I was like, eh. He's like, well, that probably rules you out from being a rock star. So we need to go with plan B. And there was a hair school and I ended up going to hair school. And surprisingly enough, never thought that I was going to do it. I hated hair school, hated mannequins. And I went to my first hair show and the Altieri brothers, they were, I believe, with Matrix back in the day. They were on stage and they had like a volcano and it turned around and the models were inside. And I said, that's what I want to do. That gave me that same feeling as being a rock star. And originally, I wanted to be a rock star because I said, oh, everyone will have to like look at me. But what I realized when I got into education, I got that same feeling when people came back to me and said, oh, my God, I took your class and I went back. I did the technique and now I'm making more money. I just bought my first car or, you know, I bought a house, things like that that gave me that rock star feeling. So I, I feel like now I'm a rock star just with a different medium. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. When the um, pyro go off and the stage starts moving, I always start sweating. It makes me panic. <laughs> um, it really does. So hairdressing was in the family. Your grandparents yes. were hairdressers, both your granddad and your grandmother. Yes, they were both uh, hairdressers. And what was what was that like for you going finishing after school? Did you enjoy going into the salon and sweeping up or was it like a chore for you? Or did you love that atmosphere? No, I I did not enjoy it. So I have a brother that does hair as well. Um, all my sister-in-laws do hair. One of my brothers does makeup. So I feel like it ran in our family. It was in our yes. blood. But I personally, when I was young, I said, if I ever get out of this, I will never step foot in another salon ever again. Obviously, did not stick to that. I blew that miserably. Uh, but it turned out, I say hairdressing found me really right. it found me and I didn't know the passion that I had for it until I got in it. And really, I love seeing that change in people. I love helping stylists. Uh, years ago, someone said, you know, hairdressers make like 27,000 a year. And I was like, people can't afford to feed their family on, you know, that much money. So it kind of became my mission through education to help people earn a better living so they could live a better life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the best things about this industry is that you can make such a great living and that it's a misconception by the general public and by schools to say that we are all going to make zero money and sort of, you know, live live a life of desperation. Yes. Your dad made you go to college. He's like, okay, you're not going to be a rock star, plan B. And so plan B, you decided to do hairdressing. Or did he decide for you? Did he sort of say... This is this is something that you could use. 
No. So by this point, he wasn't doing hair anymore. He actually became a lawyer. So he was really pushing the college route. Right. And I wasn't opposed to college, but just something in my heart said this wasn't for me, or at least right then it wasn't for me. You know, I ended up going back to college years later, but at that time it wasn't for me. And I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I loved being out. I was really into fashion then. So it was like, okay, well, this really kind of fits. The school was uh, near our house so I could ride my bike to school every day. And like I said, school was great. I had amazing, amazing teachers. I just didn't realize how hard it was going to be. I thought I could just walk in and I was like, you know, I'm cute. I can just fly through this and it'll be a breeze. And as you know, from going to hair school, it's not a breeze. And so uh, my teacher would take the mannequin and we would bring the mannequin set up to him. First thing he would do is do like this and shake it. And if any of those rollers moved, you had to take the full thing down and start from scratch until none of the rollers moved when he shook it. So let's just say it it, it took me a little while before none of my um, rollers move, didn't move. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we're, we're both aging ourselves that we know how to do a roller set, right? On base, yeah. off base. Um, <laughs> and some pink, some pink curls and some finger waves. I mean, I used to cry trying to get those finger waves right. What I realized later in my career was that those disciplines have served me so well. Oh my God, yes. And everything comes back around. Yeah. You know, we're doing the dry waves now. And even I saw um, a TikTok and the girl had like the gel finger waves. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we, we you will learn it and it teaches you the structure. One thing about me, I was never one of those hairdressers that liked all the new gimmicky tools that would come out and things like that. I felt like know the basics. And if you know the fundamentals and you know the basics, you can build upon that and do anything. It's when you don't know those things that you start to have issues and controlling yeah. the hair and placement and things like that. You know, natural fall was like, an eye-opening thing when you realize natural fall. <laughs> so in your, your grandparents' and your, your, your parents' salon, mm -hmm. there must have been lots of sets and, um, and finger waves and all those things going. Yeah. Did you find that you'd picked any of it up or had you just really not paid any attention to that when you were there? Uh, no, actually, I because I always liked finger waves. I always thought they were beautiful. And my grandmother was amazing. Like old school, just the two combs, they could do the beautiful waves. Um, so I feel like I picked up the techniques from that. I picked up, uh, you know, placement for your cutting. Uh, so those little things stuck with me. I didn't necessarily realize it at the time, but right. going through school, it made me realize that I had paid attention and I saw a lot of things that she did. And after she passed, I actually, when I was in the salon, we found her old irons and stove. I'm really dating myself there. Uh, but so for a while, I was using those in the salon as kind of homage to her. So I had to do my um, my Marcel waves with the hot irons because that's all they had at college. And I always used to burn myself. I could ne I've never been able to get that down on pat. That is definitely a skill set. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now it's been so long since I've done it. Do you know what I mean? But so you, you, leave, yeah. you leave beauty school. And 
so then it's into it's into the career and of course that would have been what was that the 90s the 80s the 90s for you it was early 90s yes early 90s i got my license in 88 what and where were you where were you what city were you in um i was in baltimore maryland so raised in baltimore uh started doing hair there uh, and i did hair there for a while probably like a 10 to 12 years before then i moved to chicago Oh, another one of my favorite cities, Chicago. Yeah. Um, what what was it like for you behind the chair? Because I mean, you've you've moved on into education at this point, but at that point, coming out coming out of beauty school, behind the chair, what what was that like for you? I enjoyed the salon because even though I'm an introvert, I'm good with people, um, and so I won't say it was easy for me to build a clientele. But one of the benefits for me building a clientele was. I was the only male in my salon. So a lot of the women came in and, you know, wanted a guy to do their hair. Um, so that, I feel like that helped me. And I knew a lot of people, you know, back then I was out and about in the clubs and scenes and all that. So all of the girls would come and get their hair done. They would start telling their friends about me. And then I really like a lot of the dancers in the area um, would come to me for extensions and things like that. So I feel like extensions is really kind of is where I started building my career. And then I became a colorist, nationally certified colorist. And that really put me to the next level because I worked in a color focused salon. Um, so it, it helped. And we were near a mall. So we would just go around to all the stores there in the mall and I would go to like, you remember merry-go-round, the clothing store merry-go-round. So I would go to the merry-go-round and like Victoria's Secrets, all the, because in my mind, if I could get those it girls from each of those stores to come to me, then they'll do all of the work for me because everyone's going to go to them and say, oh my God, who did your hair? And so I went in and I just looked, the prettiest woman in there went up to her and I said, hey. Come get your hair done. If you like it, you can keep coming to me. And if you bring me three friends each time, I'll give you a discount. And she was like, each time? And I was like, yes, you can get a discount every time you come as long as you keep feeding clients to me. Uh, so I'm, between those two stores, it really built my career. And then also can I, really can I, it. Yeah. Can I, can, I, can I stop you on this? Because this this is brilliant. It's pre-Instagram and it's about hustling, getting out there and getting it girls. And I still think that that's important today in the salon, right? Get those key people, the women, the, for me, it would be women, the women that I want to come to me, get a few key ones and they bring all their friends. And it doesn't matter how big your Instagram page is. That's how you make money. It's so, it's so simple. And we were taught that and I feel like somewhere that conversations got lost. Yes, it did. It got lost. And then social media came and everybody felt like, oh, I don't have to do this. I can just have a pretty page. Pretty page is good. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But you still need that one-on-one, -on -one, that personal experience. And Instagram is great for getting you a wider reach. But, but if you want people around your salon it's that word of mouth and it's those it girls that are really the ones that are going to bring you your business.
Absolutely. And I've always believed that it doesn't matter what town, what city, what village, wherever you are, there's always an it girl. There's always. Yes. There's always one. You know, it's like high school, right? It's like high school. Exactly. And, um, and, and that's the way you do it. I love that. I love the story of how people build a clientele because we all kind of build it in the same way. But you said that you became a colour specialist in that, that you yes. you started because the salon was colour focused. And of course, in the 90s, being a colourist is very different to in 2022, 2023. In the 90s, hair dressing, cutting and blow drying was still the big thing. And colorists were all shoved in the basement or the back of the salon or, you know, there weren't many salons that had specialists. What what pulled you into color? Um, So I've always liked the kind of science around things. And I felt like color was one of those things that I truly didn't understand. I knew how to do good color, right? but I wasn't a colorist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I learned about formulation and about the hair texture and looking at the hair as a fiber and the levels, all of that came together. And I was like, oh, color is really easy. It's almost like one, two, three. You take all these steps, you're going to end up with your result. Um, and at the time, I started doing stage work. My brother and I would do stage work together. and his discipline was design. So he was a cutter and I would usually just end up styling his work. And I was like, well, we have a colorist backstage is doing our color models. Like we should, if we're a team, it'll look good. I can color them. They can move over to your chair. You can cut them and then we'll style them. So it was really kind of that, that show piece that got me interested more into it. And then once I became certified, then that's all that I wanted to do. So primarily the last years in the salon, I did strictly color and extensions. Like extensions were big for me too. I had a couple high profile clients. And so they would come to me regularly for their color and extensions. Brilliant. So all becoming an all rounder and then specializing in something. I, I love to hear those kind of stories. Um, and the stage work with your brother obviously sort of ignited that education piece in you. Yes. Yes, it really did. Education was very big for both of us. Um, and, you know, we toured around, did a bunch of magazines, did a bunch of shows. And that really helped the salon as well because it excited my clients even though they couldn't get an appointment with me, you know, it's human nature. You always want something that you can't have. So it's it's almost like not being in the salon helped me because new clients would call off and it was like, oh, well, he has two days next month. And they're like, oh, oh, he must be really good. Let me, you know, go in there. And I always say in our business, it's kind of one of the few industries where definitely you want talent and you want skill, but it's also... You have so many people around you that have talent and skill. It's your dog and pony show. You know, if the person beside me, the dog and ponies are, you know, running through pools of water, then my dog and pony show, I'm going to light a hoop on fire and they're going to jump through it. It's just making it because people come to the salon. I think when they come to the salon, 
the, their hair is actually one of the last things that they're coming for. They're coming for that camaraderie. They're coming for that therapy session. And they happen to leave with great color. So building that, building that show around them and making each client feel special and feeling like your full attention is on her or him is what really helps you build that clientele and have people coming back. I never thought it was one of those things. I've got to work seven days a week, 14 hours a day. It was really like when I started working less is when I started really doing more. Mm. I, I'm a great believer in the 360. I mean, I talked about this on an earlier podcast, uh, the whole kind of from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave and the whole experience. I think that's what pe people come for. Great, great hair, but they'll leave because if those other things don't fill the needs too. So I love that. So into, into brands you go. So you've got this rich, diverse and successful career. And then on the road is hard, right? We, we know if you've ever done... If you've ever done a hair show, I just say it is not as glamorous as it looks for those 30 minutes that you're watching that person because we're usually up at six o'clock or five o'clock. And it's like, yeah, there's a whole, there's so many hoops that you have to jump through. And then you don't leave when you get off stage. That's just the beginning of the end, which goes on for a few more hours and then maybe a plane or the next day. It, it's doggingly tired. It is. It is. People always say that they're like, oh my God, you have such a glamorous job. And I'm like, my, my job is glamorous for that hour that you see it. It's yeah. all, all the other things around it that are that drive you crazy. <laughs> they, do, they do drive you crazy, but we love it. Um, and that's the difference. Yes. Making the leap from doing it all. So I, you know, I do a little bit of this. I do a bit of that. I do that and the other. And I love the diversity of it and it's full and it's enriching for me but I started off completely in the salon and that's how I love the opportunities that this career gives and mm -hmm. you would you obviously doing all of those things and then you shifted into full-time into working with the brands um was that an easy move for you because I know that you you talked about not going back to college but then you went back to college because it's a different skill set needed to work full-time for a brand isn't it it is uh, a very different skill set. And I, when I first made that leap, it was very hard mm. because you're, you're used to, you get it. You like, it's like muscle memory. You're used to going in there, you do your styling, you do your cutting, you do your color, you go home. When you're sitting there using the brain power, it's almost even more tiring than standing all day in the salon because it's a new skill set. You're trying to learn it. You're trying to think of it from your hairdresser hat and then also taking that off and putting on your brand cap. And how is this going to build a brand? How do we magnify this so everyone can be a part of it? Uh, different skill set, but I feel like a lot of stylists that make that leap it really benefits them because they can wear two hats versus someone that is, um, no offense to any marketers, but like if you're doing marketing, you're marketing that brand. And when a new product comes out, you just move on to the next product. Your skill is how to market it, not exactly the skill in the product. Where with going corporate for hair, you have that hair skill as well as 
okay, now how do I market this to the masses? So when I'm with a brand, I always know when I'm talking to somebody who's a hairdresser as well versus somebody that's never done hairdressing. And there's, and it's a big difference, isn't it? It's a big difference. And yes. no offense to anybody that, yes. that isn't a hairdresser in the industry um, because the industry is yes. so diverse, which is brilliant. <laughs> so you made the leap. And was it color mm-hmm. that you focused on or was it the whole thing? When I first made the leap, it was color. Uh, definitely. Um, and so w- actually what it was at the time, Ulta Beauty was starting their education department. They had, you know, if you're not familiar with Ulta, they have the stores and they have salons inside the stores. I didn't know that. And at the time it was very segmented. Yeah, it was very segmented. So I came in to really build up their education side um, and the reason that they brought me in was because they wanted someone, they were taking on Redken at the time I was a Redken artist, and they thought it was easier for a Redken artist to come in, learn Ulta culture to teach for the salons versus sending somebody from Ulta to learn all the techniques and bring it back. Mm. Um, so that was my first lead, built up their education team. Uh, when I got there, there was like three uh, educators. And then when I left, they had a whole team of like 35. Wow. Um, so we would do all store openings. We created um, education for all of the stores. Each year we would do a collection and then we would teach to that collection to all 200 stores. So it was uh, a massive opportunity. And a massive job. Learn so much. <laughs> and a massive job as well. My goodness. <laughs> You know, from three to thirty something. Yeah. That's a, that's huge. That's that's a yeah. lot of juggling plates, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. But there's where I really learned the business side of it because there were so many people, so many great people there that understood business and didn't understand the salon. So it's kind of I taught them salon, and they taught me the business side of it. Mm. Um, and I was there almost. I think like nine years um, and really wanted to get back to the East Coast. And, you know, from my Redken days, I just, you know, reached out to some people and they're like, oh, well, there's a, a job opening. And I was applying for a position with Matrix and it didn't come about. But what came about, which looking back was great as well, was the dark and lovely uh, Carol's daughter on the consumer side was looking for um, someone with my skill set because they still had professional lines, but their professional lines were like Sally's professional, not like um, salon centric professional. Right. Uh, So really got to understand the consumer side of business there as well. Well, that's a whole nother ball game, isn't it? I mean, walking down aisle seven at CVS can get very, very confusing. And as somebody that used dark and lovely relaxers for a long, long time, because I just got this widow's peak and I used to get the dark and lovely out and everyone uh-huh. looked at me really strangely, but it was like, it worked. It worked for me. Um, yes. Then I'm not recommending that now, but I'm saying that that's something that I did. Wow. So you've got the yeah. consumer, you've got the consumer and the professional behind you, which <clears throat> does that take you into the position now? Yes. So, um, was doing that and I was there for five years 
And I really, you know, my passion has always been with the stylist and the professional side of the business. So I, I wanted to come back. Um, and once again, just reached out to connections. Connections in this industry are everything. Everything. Build those relationships. Yes. Yeah. Build those relationships, foster those relationships. Um, and so I reached out to a few people and someone came back to me and said, hey, you know, L'Oreal Professional is going through some restructuring. There's going to be a couple new positions coming. You know, I think you should apply. Um, I applied and then they told me, we want you to come in for an interview. We want to interview with our new GM. She's brand new, you know, is really learning the professional side. And I was like, okay. And so I go in and it was Emily Poussaint, which is our GM now. Emily and I had worked together at Dark and Lovely some years ago. So we knew each other from that. So it just, you know, everything kind of fell into place and I felt like it was the right move. Um, And it's such an elevated brand. I feel like that works with my personal brand. It was just, it was an amazing fit. So there are a couple of things in there that I think are great takeouts, right? One is that connections are everything. And, you know, I don't care what anyone says. In this industry, we all move around and it's in such flux that, you know, you never know who's going where. So it's like definitely keep those connections going. And just the opportunity in all of that, which is always so, so interesting. Now, this brings me to the part where, so as you know, I joined with L'Oreal Professional as an ambassador for the USA the beginning of this year, just as we were coming out of a very difficult time for our industry with COVID and with um, not political, yeah, political unrest, a little bit of political unrest. People unhappy with the way things were and people definitely wanting change and change has been so needed. And we talk about, I, I came on as hair inclusivity became a conversation, a conversation that was more public and that was very much needed in our industry, in the UK and in the USA, both slightly different, but definitely needed. Nothing had ever been taught to me about inclusivity. It's sort of something you try and figure out as you go along. You were very much a part, a big part of hair love. Am I correct? Yes, yes. How? So I love the fact that L'Oreal Professional wanted to jump on this and it was not going to be a, uh, you know, like a, a a gimmick. It was going to be something that was wrapped up into our culture, the way in which we educate. But bringing that to fruition cannot have been an easy task, right? Because the way in which I understand it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, right? And like, yeah, keep, keep me on the straight now. When we talk about hair types, it's one, two, three, four, A, B, C. I didn't even know that. Nobody ever taught me that at school. I never got, I got taught that if you, on curly hair, if you had a a tight comb and you pulled it down, it would jump up. So use a wide tooth comb. That's about all I got. Um, (laughs) Admittedly, admittedly, it was 40 years ago and I've learned stuff along the way, but it was never a conversation that I, and this is where I think it's interesting. It was never, a, the conversation was there, obviously, because there are tons of people with higher curl formations than me, but it wasn't one that I thought I needed to seek out because it never dawned on me, which is my inherent racism somewhere in there. It has to be. Um, and I have to acknowledge that. 
how did you get it so right? It is so easy for me when I when I talk about it now. And it's so easy for me to go into a room and talk about it honestly uh, as a as a a hairdresser and also as a white guy and also as a colorist and to stand there and say okay so this is and I can go into my spiel and it feels really authentic and really honest how did you get that so right and it's like we never had that before it's like it's brilliant do you want to talk about that a bit sure so first off thank you for that I appreciate that a lot um like you said the conversation was out there but I feel like before, if you were not uh, a stylist of color, you just kind of said, oh, well, there's people that do that. I don't really need to, to learn that. Um, and I don't think, and I know you said, you know, racist. I don't feel like it was racist. I just feel like you really, you really, your worldview is kind of whatever is around you. And if mm. you're in a place that maybe there isn't a lot of people of color or a lot of people with that uh, formation of hair, it's just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Now that the world is really getting bigger because of social media, everything is melting together. Curly hair is set to become like the prominent hair texture with like in the next 30, 40 years. Um, people now are looking at it differently. And then also, so with unfortunate happenings, you know, in U.S. politics and the George Floyd incident, a lot of people said, oh, my God, I don't know anything about this. I need to learn more about it. So that's kind of where the conversation came from. And as a brand, L'Oreal Professional said, well, what are we going to do about it? And me being part of development or head of development, you know, I, I said, what I don't want to do is I don't want to chuck a box and go, oh, look, now we're diverse. Mm. And, you know, because a lot of brands yeah. just take a dark skinned girl, color her blonde, put her on a poster and go, oh, see, we're for everybody. But what I wanted was to have that education and the understanding behind it. So you in the salon could gain a whole new clientele that you didn't even know that you needed or that was missing. I can remember when I left London, a woman said to me, she wrote to me and she said that I'd never said to her, oh my God, you've got so much hair, it's going to take forever. I always said I was, her hair was beautiful and I was going to, you know, work on it and all of that. Yes. And I was just like, how powerful is that for somebody in the chair to not feel like like a burden to not feel like their hair is just like too much and that they that they are beautiful and very powerful things yeah yet our industry as a whole has only just kind of said that you know that there's nothing wrong with having a box spray that there's nothing wrong the crown act's been passed that in the uk you've got to learn all different textures now in the usa lots of states have started implementing that and for a product company to do that as well it's such a powerful tool to give people if you don't understand it, learn it. It's that the opportunity is there to learn it. And if you do understand it, it's like, oh my goodness, finally somebody's speaking to it. It's very, very powerful, I think. Exactly. And that's the whole reason why we wanted to make it as broad as hair love is, is because 
we could have just done the one thing and checked the box and, you know, had uh, women of color as models. But our thought process was, let's help these stylists out there that possibly don't know what to say to that consumer, but mm. wants that consumer to come in or that doesn't really know how to finish the hair. And so they tend not to do that client. So that's why we really use like a three prong approach. First, we wanted to have that level set and that understanding and that philosophy of hair. And that's why we had the history of hair. We had stories in there about the Crown Act. Um, there were stories in there about, you know, uh, women coming over on the slave ships and braiding kernels of rice into the cornrows. So then they knew they would always have food. And what that means to to the African-American consumer or mm. people of color. And most of all, it's not always what you say. Sometimes it's the things that you don't say. So we really went through, like, these are some of the things that you don't say. And I love how you said, the woman said to you, oh, you never said, oh, my hair is too much. Or, you know, people don't think about terminology. Like, let's say frizzy. Yes. People always say, oh, frizzy is a bad thing. But no, some of consumers like the big curl and the frizz to it because that's their hair and their natural state. So it's really tailoring your terminology. So if that client comes in or when that client comes in, you're leveling the playing field and you're not going to say something that's offensive. Because if every time you get your hair done, someone goes, oh, my God, you have a lot of hair. She's been growing up with this hair since she was a child. She knows she has a lot of hair. Yes. You know, it's like somebody comes in at seven feet tall. Oh, you're tall. Oh, thank you. I just noticed that I was seven feet tall. You know, so I know. yeah, when somebody says, oh, what, what's the weather like up there? It's so annoying. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was the first approach was terminology and kind of the history of hair. Um, then we go into the no-nos, like different items and products, ingredients and products, excuse me, that consumers look for. So if you're going to service this client now, we want to have products that she can take home. So we want to make sure these ingredients are in there or this list of ingredients isn't in there. And then the last approach is really giving people that technical skill, showing them how to formulate for their color for the higher formations or showing how to style the hair. Because a lot of times what women of color do, they come into a more traditional salon to get color because the Caucasian salons are known to give you amazing color. Then they'll put on a baseball cap, go back across town to their stylist and get it styled. So instead of making those two trips, Let's teach stylists to be able to work on all formations, whether it's cut, color, or styling. So you're building your clientele and you're giving that person mm. a safe space and a home that they can come to and get everything, that 360, as you were saying before. Yes. I, you know, the, the thing is, when, I'm, when I've been out and about this year on the road teaching and if, when talking about curl formation, and it's like, what are the things with that we need to look for when we're coloring hair and everyone knows the answers right texture porosity 
everyone knows that answer. And it's like, okay, so if the hair is curly, what do we know about curly hair? And everyone's like, oh, well, you know, the cuticle's more um, more raised. And everyone knows the answers to it. It's just not, it's the language. And everyone trips up on it. And I, I personally, it makes me nervous. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want somebody to feel uncomfortable in my chair. I don't want it to be, I'm definitely not an expert on anything, right? But I know what I do and how it works. Right. Um, and so I love right. that. And I think that, I think that, I mean, I love hair. I love getting my hands in hair. I love seeing it dressed, I, I, coloring it, all of that. And to have the language that helps me come across better to someone is so important. I wanted to ask you, though, why did you decide to go from one through four, in, but go through one through eight? Okay. So, and that's really uh, an easy answer. So, you that. know how colorists, we have our language where we talk to each other. If you go in, you say, okay, she's a level five. You're going to use a 3.1 for your color. Yes. And a colorist is like, oh, got it. So with hair, one through eight is the professional language. So if I say a level eight, if I say level one hair formation, you always know it's going to be straight. If I say an eight hair formation, you know it's going to be a tight curl coiled hair. Yes. The consumers create before hairdressers really caught on and created that language consumers had already created a language so um actually oprah's old hairdresser andre walker he created a line of products and in the line he created the one through four the abc he actually created that for his product line for you to formulate what you needed to care for your hair stop it the curly can stop yes. this this is i didn't even i didn't know that yeah that, that he created that's that not, <laughs> that's not hairdressing hairdressing language that is language created for consumer that we all took on board wow well at the time it was created consumer but just for his product line um, and so years later, when the when the the natural hair movement really took off, the natural hair influencers went back, found that chart, and started using that to speak to each other with curls. Like if you Google 4C hairstyles, a yes. bunch of stuff will come up. Um, the natural consumer is a very talkative consumer. They reach out to other people because you know when you have curly hair. And I tell this, and this levels the playing field. When you have curly hair, you have the same problems, whether you're loose curl or tight curl. The tighter the curl gets, the more exacerbated your problem is going to become. But you're going to have frizz. You're going to have dryness. So when you say that, then all curly girls are like, oh, okay, doesn't matter what I look like. Doesn't matter what my skin tone is. I know I have this type of hair. This is the product that I need. Right. So from that, we took that and the one through eight is more the professional terminology. We're like the three B, four C and all that is the consumer technology, or excuse me, terminology. But reason we incorporated both in the hair love, I need to be able to talk to you and you understand what I'm saying. And sometimes we need to talk where we don't want the client to know all of our secrets. So 
the one through eight, we're talking, when we're talking to the consumer, then we speak their language, the 4A, 4B, 4C. But if you lay the, the, the fours, A, B, C out, it still equals up to the eight. Yes. I like one through eight. I was like, oh, that's so easy. But then when I go back to the UK, I've got to do one through four. And it, do you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm like, oh, juggling with that. But it's like, it's okay. I can manage yes. it. It's, not, it's, it's, a, it's a first world problem. And I, I yeah. love the, the way that it's been put out. I love the fact that we've got the chart and that that's in everything, in all the education. And one of the, the most brilliant feedbacks from the year was that somebody had come on a, an event, and I think I was with Ron Lopez, and they said, it was really lovely, Jack, because you didn't say we're going to do a curly, it's going to be a curly class. There was just a curled model there. And you just talked about it as normal. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting, right? Because maybe they've been to places where it's become a thing to be doing curly, coily hair, when actually, really, it should just be part of what we do. And it's, exactly. it's a big shift. It's a nice shift. A really nice shift. It is. It's a big shift. It's a nice shift. And there's so many stylists out there that do not understand how to work with all hair formations and they get scared or mm. like I said, clients have to jump around and go to different salons to get that one thing. And I was like, how much easier would it be if everyone just learned to do all hair? Um, you know, and I say this when I got, I went to a school, I didn't do any African-American formations until I was in the salon. Um, in school, did all straight, some lightweight, that was it. Um, but then I had to learn all of that. So I could go on any set and do any type of hair. But the same isn't true for someone that's not a person of color. They just learn how to do their hair and never really venture off into those higher formations mm. until it's sitting in front of them and, and they don't know what to do or they're calling a friend, which all of those things are great, but let's just leaven the playing field from the beginning and learn how to do hair because we don't look at it as white hair, black hair. It's just hair. No, but I think that if something comes in front of you and it doesn't matter whether it's a curl, a coil, whether it's a dark base or a light base and you're not used to doing it or you're not sure of how to do it, it can be very overwhelming and it can be sort of super panic mode in a minute, can't it? One of the things, the stats that I got this year in the UK was the percentage of women who have curly hair and it's and it wasn't based on race it was just the percentage of women it's mm -hmm. massive it's a massive market and it's a market that is ripe for change and ripe for conversations and I just think that the language that you've created just makes it easier to do that you know um, and we do know that African-American women spend a lot of money on their hair, right, in the salon. And, yes. you know, it's and they're very and curly, coily clients are well versed in their hair and they seek out curl specialists. And so it's not that you have to be a curl specialist, but at least try to relearn the language. And this old dog can do it anyone can do it right it's like you know how to color hair already guys you know how to cut hair hair really is hair you just maybe need to update the language and if anything the message this year has been brilliant i think so i, I really 
I wanted to talk to that about that briefly. I wanted to know a little bit more about you as well. You've shared so much today. Thank you so much. But I really wanted to thank you publicly for for helping me, right? Because it's made my year exciting being able to incorporate something new. And I know that you've styled for me for a number of times because I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to style this. And I've done <laughs> That's not bad. And I'm like, oh, it's terrible. And I've like desperately dragged you off from somewhere to help me. So thank <laughs> but everybody knows that blow drying and me are not the best of things. <laughs> Sorry. But no, but your yes. finishing has... It- your finishing on curly hair looks wonderful. That's why every time you're like, oh, no, I need you. And I'm like, no, it's just those little refinements, but you did great. And I, well, have I, don't... To say, I have to thank the team that really helped put all this together. Like it wasn't a one-man job for sure. No. It was a full team between the training department and my team, the development department. They spent a lot of months and late nights really putting everything together. So thank you, guys. Yeah, We always know it's a team, and I think that um... – we always acknowledge it's the team. It's you, you're the face of this one, so thank you for being the face of it. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your story, and thank you for everything that you're doing this year with the conversations around curl formation, right, and hair love. So brilliant! Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. 